Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 125 for Monday, July 31st, 2017. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here back in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And out here in Los Gatos, California, Paul Kent. How you doing today, Mr. Kent? I'm doing pretty good. I just finished up a crazy busy week, uh, day day job stuff and and gig stuff. How about you? Um, I had I actually took the weekend off from gigging. Lisa and I went down to New York to catch three of Fish's uh, thirteen night run uh, at Madison Square Garden. Wow! Yeah. Yeah, they're not doing 13 in a row, but it's it's almost in a row. They're 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 taking off Monday. They're doing it over three weeks and taking off Monday and Thursday of each week. So we caught the middle weekend here, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. That's really cool. Yeah, it was um, it was interesting. You know, this is uh, obviously a long run in one room and most of the shows are selling out, which is impressive. uh, From their standpoint, but they, uh, you know, Fish is a creative bunch and they like to have fun. And they did an interesting thing and, you know, uh, kind of watching how they do stuff. There's always stuff we can learn for this run. They it's a 13 night run. So they called it the Baker's Dozen. Right. And when they announced it, they had like some video with big donuts rolling through the streets of Manhattan. And then if, if you bought tickets to all 13 nights, you actually got them in a a, a donut box like you would if you bought a baker's dozen of donuts and the tickets were actually circular with holes in the middle uh, even you know and barcodes obviously because they get like scan them to get in the venue but they all looked like donuts and um and the theme didn't stop there every night uh when you enter the venue if you're one of the first two thousand people so maybe the first 10 percent of the people that get in uh they hand you a donut of whatever that day's flavor is uh, <laughs> yep. And, and then, and, and so that was a nice little thing to have. We got donuts two of the three nights, the third night. Um, we literally saw them handing out the final donuts as they ran out, you know, maybe, oh. you know, 20 people ahead of us in line or whatever. It was fine. Um, what did the what did 13 shows? What did the whole run cost? Uh, I think it was, well, it was different if you were on the floor versus, um, in the, in the stands, the floor was more expensive than the stands, but floor tickets were 80 bucks a piece. And if you bought all 13, you got one free. So I, th- I guess it was about a thousand bucks, 960 bucks. Baker's dozen. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 As, as, as is the theme with a Baker's dozen. Yep. Uh, so yeah, fish keeps their ticket prices relatively low. I mean, 80 bucks isn't, isn't, isn't short money, but compared to what you spend for most concerts, it's not too bad for sure. Yeah. Um, but then every night was a different donut and they, they organized parts of their set list around that particular flavor. So Friday's donut was, um, a double chocolate donut. And so they opened the show with an acapella version of chocolate rain, which was that weird video on YouTube years ago. And, uh, and then during the, the second set, they covered uh, hot chocolates, um, uh, sexy thing, 
which was, it was actually, I thought it was a pretty awful version of you sexy things, <laughs> but they were having fun. I mean, it, you know, it was fine. It was whatever. And then, uh, Saturday night's donut was a cinnamon glazed donut. And so the encore was a cover of Neil Young's cinnamon girl, which also oh, was, nice. was somewhat uninspired. Uh, but it was fine. And then, uh, yep. And, and then last night's donut was, um, Jimmy's, which most people nationwide call sprinkles, but you probably know them as Jimmy's given that you lived in the Northeast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that's very much a Northeast term. Um, the donuts were made in a shop in Philly. And, uh, so they call it Jimmy's and, and they, that, that was the one where they went the deepest. There's a, there's several fish songs referencing Jim or Jimmy. And so they played all of those, um, they played their cover of the Who's Drowned, which is from Quadrophenia, which I believe is is sung or told by Jimmy in in that story. And then came time for the encore. And uh, and so that we were all sort of, you know, asking which which Jimi Hendrix song is it going to be that they that they play for the encore? Because they play three uh, fire axis, boldest love and Isabella. And uh, and they surprised us all by playing one they've never played before, which turned out to be uh, "Wind Cries Mary," which is one of my favorite Hendrix songs. So it was a nice little. How they do? It was it was actually good. It was pretty good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that tune. So it's um, I actually wind up playing it on the piano all the time. But anyway, so I know Fish does like their like their you know Mexican Riviera thing. Yeah. And th- is this uh, like themed run of shows um, something they've done before? Yes, they they do. They I mean, they've done festivals where obviously that's a, a theme and and uh, and they've done, like you said, the Mexican Riviera. They play out at Dick's Pavilion in um, in uh, outside of Denver, I guess, every year for Labor Day weekend. And that's a themed run. And and the thing with their themed runs is they never repeat a song. And thus far that I mean, this runs not over. They've done eight of the 13 shows. They haven't repeated a song yet. Wow. And I don't think they will. I mean, it's it, somebody, you know, some crazy fan built a spreadsheet and, you know, organized it by how recently songs have been played and how frequently and all this stuff. But there's plenty of songs for them to to finish out this run without repeating anything if they don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. So um, this is interesting. So as you're telling the story, I'm thinking about, um, you know, what can a cover band do? Yeah. To keep revitalizing their audience. Right. Exactly. So, you know, the concept. Yeah, because that's what Fish is doing is they're they know they're playing to a lot of the same audience all the time. So yeah. how do they how do they keep it fresh? And and this is just one way of doing that. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, we think about, you know, a Halloween show, a Valentine's Day show. You know, yep. you, know you can use holidays um, doing an album side, you know, or an album, you know, yep. cover to cover would be another type of thing to do. Yeah, Fish, Fish has something. done that on many Halloweens where they don a musical costume and, and cover somebody's album. Yeah. Cover to cover. Yeah, yeah. And it's cool. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. And actually I saw um, Warren Haynes do that as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Yep. So what I'm thinking of, like, like this actually has been on my mind lately. So next year, is the 35th anniversary of Eddie and the Cruiser. So I know it was a corny movie, which I love that movie so much. I just, I can watch it over and over again. Sure. And actually mostly what I love is John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown band, which is from your area, right? From Rhode Island, right? Oh, that's true. That's right. I never thought about that. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. I, I still think he's awesome. He's written some great songs. I mean, he's had a couple number one songs and I'm actually, it's, it's in my mind now to kind of like just to do something because it's something I would love to do. I love the music. And it's kind of a theme to do a, a, a you know, 
Eddie and the Cruz's 35th anniversary show. It's got a lot of 80s stuff in it because yep. you know, when John Cafferty became really popular, there was a lot of 80s hits that he had. The, the, the Eddie and the Cruiser stuff is kind of more 60s. But, you know, he never comes out to California. And I always think that there's a bunch of people who are from the East Coast who never get to hear the music they really like that they grew up with yes. here on the West Coast. Out here, you know, we can play Doobie Brothers and Tower of Power and, and uh, Boss Gags and local musicians is what people here grew up with. And they love that type of stuff. But I have this sense and I, I don't get a lot of, a lot of you know, a lot of uh, information that it's true, but I just sense it's true that there are a lot of displaced Easterners out here that if you put together a theme night, you could probably sell a whole bunch of tickets. And uh, it just sounds like fun, something fun to me. So just I, thinking out loud, it's actually a show that I'm starting to think about doing. I think you're totally right. I mean, given given the the success that the Sharks have had, I, I think you're you're perception that there are a lot of misplaced or displaced, not misplaced, displaced East coasters is, is absolutely correct. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. No, wait, wait, I think that'd wait, be a what's fun. Your, the sharks, the hockey team. Yeah. Yeah. I feel wait, like what's the connection there. Well, I feel like, I mean, is California really a hockey state? It is now, but, oh. but, but I mean, well, it, no, it is now, but, but that's like, you don't target California for hockey or you, at least you didn't, you know, and now you do. I, I felt like well, I felt like when that all kind of happened, that was totally for all of the East Coasters that were, you know, out there. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, well, I'll, I'll say this, you know, hockey's been in California for a long time. The Golden Seals were here. Yeah. And uh, and uh, I, I get your your basic premise is that hockey, you know, if you grew up in the early 60s, you know, or, or earlier than that, there wasn't hockey here. Correct. So if you're if you're a lifelong hockey fan, you might come some, from somewhere else or have ties to somewhere else. I get that premise. But, but there's, yeah, like there's, youth there's hockey really out there is pretty weak, right? I, I no. will tell you this. Youth hockey out there is very weak compared to what exists here. In the Northeast. I don't know. Weak in terms of quantity of people or weak in terms of uh, uh, the quality competition? Oh, just in terms of the qu- the quantities of people that play. Dude, are we going all East Coast, West Coast here? Is it, I don't I wasn't think so. Prepared? No, I, I, it's, it, it, I didn't mean this as a competition. It's just because <laughs> we looked into that. You know, I mean, at times we have considered moving out there and uh, and, you know, being that my son plays hockey, it was like, OK, well, what's the hockey scene like? And it was like, oh, OK. So that would be a huge sacrifice. Um, I mean, there's a lot of there's traveling competitive teams that are all around the Sharks. There's traveling competitive teams that are around the L.A. teams. I think if you're not in one of those two areas, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's pretty it's right. It's it's very, very localized. And 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 it. Yeah. 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 Anyway, this is not youth sports (laughs) podcast, but but yeah, it's it's not it's not the same as it is here. You don't have ice rinks everywhere like like you do here. Right. Yeah, that's very true. Right. That's all. So but anyway, so but the basic premise is that, you know, I know I'm from the East coast and mm-hmm. you know you run into a lot of people that's one thing about california is that actually a measurable number of the people that you meet here especially in silicon valley are not native from here i totally. mean they come, they come from somewhere else right silicon valley is a little different they come from so many places all over the world but certainly you know there's big pockets of east coast people that you know transplant all the time and so i just wonder if a show like that would be something of interest that they would you know even if they're not regular live music lovers even if they just want to relive some of their time growing up on the East Coast, if an event like that would be fun. And the point being just like, I, I really like after I did the Springsteen acoustic thing this year, 
I really like doing those special events. I mm-hmm. like that it's a chance to do something different. Yep. I like it's a chance to, you know, to some ways support the things that I already do. I mean, people came and saw me at that Springsteen thing and now they come see the House Rockers play. Oh, so which is, totally. No, I think yeah. I think this is good. And and also, you know, just to be, you know, totally real about it, you are targeting an audience that has money. Right. I mean, these are these are people that are, you know, middle aged. They like you said, they want to relive or experience those songs and just hear those songs that they know. And it bring back good memories and all of that stuff. And they can afford to go out and do it. So, yeah, Yeah. no, I think I think that's totally smart. Absolutely. And that actually brings up an interesting thing. So, you know, this elasticity of money. Right. So I, I don't know about you, but here. You know, a bad club will charge five bucks to get in. Yep. A typical club will charge ten bucks to get in. Okay. And a good and a good club that has good bands will have you know even cover bands will be a twenty buck in advance, twenty five buck at the door wow. um, cover. Okay. Dude, that sounds like a lot to you. Yeah, that's more than you would get here, but but uh, I mean, it's uh, the cost of living is different, so that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. What's typical there? Um. Well, typically here, clubs don't charge a cover. But um, but if they do, it's, you know, probably in the five to ten dollar range. And that and that's about the top of it. Yeah. Yeah. But for a show like that, I feel like you could put out here, you could put a fifteen dollar price on it and people would do it for sure. What do you charge for Fling Fest? Uh, Five bucks a person. Hmm. Yeah. And do you do you have a sense that ten bucks wouldn't have been a problem? And I'll, I'll tell you what, when we started playing back at Charlie's, yeah. he, he, he wanted five bucks. And I said, and he was going to pay us, you know, some ridiculous amount. I said, I'm going to charge 10 bucks, but let me take the door. I'll take all the risk. Sure. And there was never, there was not a moment of problem getting 10 bucks at the door for our band. I bet, uh, I bet we could do 10 for Fling Fest and it would be all right. Yeah. 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 I don't know. You know, we usually <laughs> take the money from those and donate it out to some charity or something anyway. So, oh, that's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. We always find something, something good to do with the money. You know, well, that's cool. Instead of just spending All right, well, on beer or whatever. <laughs> I'll report back. So this idea, like a bunch of people who are my friends who listen to the podcast just heard that I had this idea now. Yeah. So my phone will start ringing after we're done here. But, uh, but uh, you know, I just like doing those things. I mean, it's just a little bit out of the box. It just keeps my brain, you know, thinking about cool things to do. And that's, I don't know why I get, you know, some people love just doing their band. Yep. Some people, you know, there's all different approaches to having a musical presence in your community. Totally. And I just, you know, I just like doing those special things. They're just kind of fun. That's kind of what I like about Madhouses, which, by the way, we charge 15 bucks a head for. So there you go. Right. Yep. Um, but that, you know, that's what I like about that too, is it's, it, it caters to this same crowd. I mean, there's a lot of the same people that come out every single time, but it's different every time. And we keep it mixed up. I mean, I say, we, I show up and play the songs they tell me to play the guys, the, the mad men that organized it, Brandon, Ben, and they're, they're insane and awesome and all of that stuff, but it does, it keeps it fresh. Uh, for everybody, musicians included, sometimes too fresh, yeah. but yeah, you know, <laughs> but, um, but it's, yeah, I, I totally get what you're, what you're saying. I mean, you, you want to, you know, you want to find you staying local and, you know, I was having this conversation with somebody last night, actually at the fish show, this, this uh, guy that had just graduated from Berkeley and he's, you know, like I'm going to make a living as a musician and all this stuff. And I said, well, you can do it. I said, but you've got to be willing to do anything and travel. And, uh, and that can be rough, right? So if you want to stay home uh, and target 
music and try and like even just attract a crowd, even if it's not your full time gig, you've got to keep things interesting and keep it fresh yeah. for so that the same people want to come out, not just new people all the time. So, yeah. yeah, we're very invested in that. So I've told you before, the House Rockers kind of plan is we kind of spend January to May trying to add new material. Yep. This year we got a little, little stuck in that the material we tried to add was actually it just required a lot of work. And so we only got two or three good songs mm. out of the effort, which is low for us. It's usually 10 to 12 to 15 songs. Right. And uh, and that, you know, and one of the things is that I can use is when I'm pitching like a rebook for one of these concert series or festivals, I can legitimately say we'll have an all new show to play for you next year. Right. And so it kind of communicates to them that we're, you know, we're evolving because there certainly are many, many bands that get just enough songs and they just play those songs, you know, forever. You know, forever. They'll, they'll add one a year, you know, just out of boredom. But uh, it's really a very conscious part of what we do and kind of recycling stuff. You do, you do find you kind of get your like 10, 15 greatest hits. It's really hard to work those things out of the set because you know they always are going to work. And people are going to ask for them too. That's the yeah. problem. Yep. Yeah, it is hard doing a show without playing, you know, at least at least five of those total go-to, we yeah. know this is going to work songs. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, I um I have a question for you. And I, and I I didn't prep you for this, but I'm curious how it, how much you know about it because I've heard you're a fan of Bruce Springsteen. Do you know who he is? Say say again. Bruce Springsteen, Jersey boy, kind of tours around a little bit, got a little band, that kind of thing. I am familiar. I okay. am familiar. So he has this thing that he does uh, every night. He takes a request or two from the crowd, right? People hand up signs and, and uh, he takes a request, right? Correct. And these are, as far as I understand, they are totally unplanned. Like, I mean, these are truly requests that they are going to figure out on the fly. My question is, He's got a big band and he's got horn players and all that stuff. How, how do you know how they communicate? Like get, you know, how, how do they get him? Ly- my, my guess yeah. is they get him lyrics up on a teleprompter because he never flubs the lyrics. You see videos of this every now and then they surface yeah. when he does something cool. And it's like, okay, like I get that you're pulling this, you know, off the fly, but I, like you're not flubbing a single lyric. So this isn't coming out of the memory banks. I right. don't think. And, and how do they decide what key and then how do they communicate that so that everybody's playing the same changes as, as everybody else on stage. Right. So do you know like how that works? Uh, well, I can tell you what I think happened. So first okay. of all, you're absolutely right. There's a magic guy under the stage who is sending things to a teleprompter. So, okay. He must have an internet connection. And right. when Bruce picks a song, he does it. Sure. Sometimes these things are so good. I think part of this is. I mean, I know well, he's got a good band and they're all very talented. That's right. obvious. Good ears. Good ears. Yes. But like the one that's Still. been going around lately, which is, you know, you never can tell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I all think right. that's, a, I, you know, that's a very real thing. He literally sings the horn line that he wants to the horns. Yeah. And they're they're figuring it out on the on the fly. Um, he, you know, he's yeah, talking to the guy next to him. he changes the key, right? It's, uh, Van Zant says, no, 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 no. That key's oh, no, no. too high for you, man. Well, that's it. Yeah, right. right. But but he just sings the line, so he gives him a frame of reference. Sure, of course. And then he expects the good players to be able to hang. And then, you know, as he's searching for a key, I think, I believe all that is real. It does oh, I not, totally agree. Yeah. I I don't know. I would imagine that sometimes the, the, the signs he chooses 
have to be things he knows that there's a common knowledge in the uh, band. You know, he must have some comfort. I remember these guys have been playing together for 60 years, 50 years. Yeah, that's true. You know, so yeah, he yeah. knows what bar band songs they've played once upon a time and that type of stuff. And, and uh, you know, again, it's big years. You know, I, but my still friend, getting the changes right. I mean, because I've done that on stage where everybody's like, oh, yeah, I know this tune. But, you know, he knows it a little bit differently than him. And, you know, I don't know. Uh, they, they seem to always be too in sync for it to just be, oh, yeah, I remember 100 years ago we played that. Let me just remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would say this. I would say it's, it's largely very genuine. Like, yes, I've read I've read stuff with the guys in the band saying, OK, you never know what's going to happen. And if he calls it, we just got to go. And sometimes it's not pretty and sometimes it is. But, you know, he's done like <laughs> sure. like um, express way to your heart. That's not a straight one, four, five, right? No, that's the thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, and sometimes, you know, the ones that end up coming out pretty great are pretty legendary, but you know, born to be wild, you would expect your band to be able to get through that. Right. Totally. Yeah. So, so I think that there's a couple of those things. One is the magic guy under the stage who's bringing up the lyrics right. for teleprompter. Right, right, right. Two is a band that has a shared common knowledge of music that they knew and grew up playing with. Right. And then he's, you know, a smart enough guy to know. Don't you know, call the wrong song. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't pick the wrong sign, you know, you, yeah. you know, and so I think you, you start with that type of information and then knowing what his band is capable of. So any one, four, five, I think he's pretty comfortable. And, uh, you know, I think he relies on certain guys, certain, well, everybody listens to him and watches him keenly. I mean, that, that is the most, the most remarkable part of that band is that that band reacts to him and his hits and his, you know, bring it downs and his, you know, raise it ups. And, and, you know, they really are a, an incredibly fine tuned machine to react to his subtlest of body language. Right. And reflect that. I mean, that's just, oh, and that's, that's just, just years, years of playing together. Exactly. So, yeah. so, you know, I think he knows like, I've seen him do it almost every show I've seen him do in the past yeah. many years. Um, I think he knows what his band can do. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, now that you say it that way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you trust what your band can pull off. And, and, and we all do that. Each other up, right? Sometimes you're like, there's no way this one's going to go. And they're, again, express <laughs> with your heart. That's not one, four, five. It sounds like a garage band playing. And I mean, it misses some some level of nuance, but nobody's looking for the nuance. They're looking for the holy crap. The guy just took a sign out and his whole band played something they never played before. I mean, and you got to give points for that because oh, that's totally that's very entertaining. I And I've always said that like those things, even even for a cover band, like for everybody that's in the venue from the moment the request is is made to the end of the song that that is played off the cuff, totally, you know, without preparation, everybody's in on it and it's awesome. My concern and of course, Springsteen doesn't have this this worry when he's playing big stadiums because everybody's already in the room. My concern when you're doing that is somebody comes in halfway through uh, and they I hear you, you know, yeah, flubbing expressway to your heart. And like, why is everybody into this? Like, this is awful. Right. And they because they don't know. Yeah. yeah. So that's always well, my concern is like. So so would you do it with your band? I mean, would you yeah. be like, no guts, no glory or. or and it was, So take fling. I'll uh, tell you about the house. Fling, in a Fling's the wrong band. We used to do it with Chafalt, Chafed all the time. Fling. So that's everybody's on the same page. No guts, no glory. Correct. Correct. Right. 
But but we also know how to pitch it so that, you know, we, we like work it a little bit. We we downplay when somebody says, oh, can you play? Oh, gee, I don't know. You know, we, we, even though in the backs of our heads, we're all like, yeah, OK, we can we got this. You know, right, right, right. And and then and then you do it. And, and so you've set the bar lower than it needs to be. And <laughs> then when you get to the end, just in case somebody walked in, you say something about, hey, you know, Remember, you get what you ask for here. Yeah. You asked for that, right? So that so that it, it puts it put the, the sandwich is closed. Yeah. You got bread on both sides. Yeah. So I, I, I would be that way. Not everyone in my band is that way. A lot of guys are very self-conscious about a flub and, and all that yeah. type of stuff. Yeah. I think you get I think you get way more points for the spontaneity mm-hmm. than you lose points for the flub. And so, you know, if you can get close to it, you know, again, it helps to not it helps to have the words because to me that would be the hardest thing. That's always probably, the hardest thing. I could yeah. probably feel myself through the music, but uh, the words are a little bit harder. But you know, I think I think it, that's why it's live music and not a DJ, right? That's, that's totally right. You know, the the moment the moment is still the thing that will always carry live music, whether it's a perfect, beautiful moment or an inane, risky moment. Right. And you're, I think what you said is actually right. You know, we're all in this together. Let's see what we can do. That is a a uh, you're creating a, a bond with your audience that, uh, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We, um, you know, it's the music that's in our deep in us somewhere. We're just going to try and coax it out. I think there's a lot of good that comes from that, but I certainly know that there's other people who, you know what, if someone sees me and I'm not good, I, I feel very exposed to it. Totally. So that's kind of yeah. weird. I saw, uh, I was out in Chicago, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago for a trade show or a conference rather for max stock conference. And, that Saturday night of the conference, they had a party and a band played. And this was like, you know, the band that no one knows who they are when when you come in the room. It wasn't a band of like we did with the All-Stars where it was relevant people from the community. This was just a local band. And uh, and the, the name of the band was something something for Joey. And I, I was introduced to the lead singer before the they started. And he's like, oh, yeah, we play all bad 70s covers. I'm like, well, that's interesting. Okay. You know, like, <laughs> but it, the, the way, and he said, you know, this is a weird crowd though. I got to figure out a way to keep everybody engaged. And, and so he knew that about the room and, uh, and what they did is they took their set list and chopped it up and put all their songs in a hat. And they had, they would not play a song until somebody came up to the stage and pulled a song out of the hat. And then that's what they played. So it was this very bizarre set that didn't like fit anything, but they had some tunes that I've never heard anybody play before, including, um, time to change, which is the Brady bunch song Mm. that Peter's voice cracked on in that (laughs) episode. And they're halfway through it. In fact, I think that was like the one I picked out of the hat because they needed, they played, they came out and played two songs and they said, all right, that's it. We're done picking songs. And I figured, okay, well I know what it's like, you know, (laughs) to be on stage and not have anybody come up. So I went and pulled the song out of the hat and I didn't even recognize the name of it. I'm like, time to change. What kind of, (laughs) what is this? And they started playing it. I'm thinking, that's the Brady Bunch. That's, That's crazy. Great. Yeah. yeah. And they played things like Kung Fu Fighting and and um, Sunshine from Jonathan Edwards. I mean, it was just like truly all over the place. And uh, and they wore weird like 70s garb and wigs and, you know, all that good stuff, too. But um, yeah, it was it were was they, an interesting they, way to engage a crowd that they knew was yeah. going to be tough to engage. Yeah. Were they pros? 
they were that the ridiculous part was they didn't take themselves seriously at all. No, 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 no. I'm asking where they professional musicians. That's the thing is they were total pros. Yeah. They like, but it wasn't just that they were good players. They were well rehearsed on every single one of these tunes that sure. came out. Like, and they told me they're like, oh yeah, this particular band doesn't play more than, you know, three or four times a year. You know, the, me and that guy play in another band where we play like, you know, funk stuff and, and these guys play in a classic rock band, but the four of us never play together. But like the endings of these tunes, everything was perfect, That's cool. which was impressive. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, so we know um, we have that mutual friend who does a kind of live karaoke band, right? Yeah. So yeah. same similar type of thing. Um, it, it had that live karaoke vibe, but without karaoke. Right. Yeah. I mean, they were singing all the tunes, but it, it was definitely that interaction. And they were smart to do it that way, because otherwise no one would have paid attention to them. Yeah. At all. I mean, yeah. I, I think a lot about these. Uh, so you, remember you came out and you stayed with me last year and we went to that concert series that I helped put on in my yeah. town, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So so that concert series is growing and, you know, it really attracts the very best bands. And some of the bands that come are this, you know, you're you're basically a, a, a touring pro who doesn't want to tour anymore. Right. How are you going to make money? So so we've had four or five bands. The last night was a, a journey tribute tribute band and nailed journey. I mean, nailed, nailed, nailed journey. Phenomenal. Right. Right. You know, singer sounded like Steve Perry effortless up in those high ranges, guitar player crushed all those Neil Sean parts. I mean, just really good. And that was their thing. And you know, if, if you back up, we talk a lot about, you know, music is business, music is art. If you kind of back up far enough to look down on the, on the market of music, wherever you may live, and we talked about a couple of things. One is how can you be good at what you do? What is your truth? You know, what is right. the product, the product that you're going to create? How can you make it as great a product as it can be? And then the other thing is why are you different? So I keep saying, you know, four piece classic rock bands. It's really hard to stick out. Yes. Four piece classic rock bands where you throw a girl in the front. It's really hard to stick out. I mean, not, not, I'm not making no commentary whatsoever about how good you may or may not be. It doesn't I'm matter. Saying, yeah. There's just a bunch of them, right? Yeah. No, this is, this is my thing. You know, whenever Aaron can't make a, our keyboard player can't make a fling gig. It's like, you know, the other guys are like, Oh, we can cover the gig without him. It's like, yeah, no, we can. But without him, we are just a four piece classic rock band because we don't have the keys and we don't have the harmonies that pull it all together. And it right. makes a big difference. Yeah. And what and differentiates you? What's yeah, your absolutely. magic? Yep. Yeah. Keyboard players are definitely at a, at a premium and keyboards can do so many di different things, whether it's, you know, eighties patch pad type things right. or, or beautiful piano parts or, you know, honky tonk piano parts or whatever Hammond it is. And organ or whatever it is. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I a key and keys are a premium. I don't know any market where there's a lot of keyboard players. And mm. so I'm blessed to have a great one. I mean, yeah, you know, totally. Yeah. Plays everything, sings great, but, you know, and is really, you know, very authentic. You know, I've had keyboard players who kind of one finger patch guys and that's, you know, that's not keyboard playing. That's, you might as well bring a computer that's out. And triggering. Do stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, but anyway, my point is like this, in this music series, there's, you know, where, where are these ex touring pros? What are they doing? So we've had two or three bands, you know, they dress coordinated, you know, yep. sometimes some of them are silly dress. Some of them are outlandish dress, but you know, they give a lot of thought to costume and that, you know, just air is one level of, of refinement to their show. And, you know, they're great at what they do. They, uh, and actually here, here's the biggest point of this. They don't mess around. 
they play songs that are going to make people happy. Yes. And, and more and more, I've been thinking about that with the house rockers and, you know, we've been playing, uh, this year, more of a similar set list. We probably have, you know, on any given show, say it's 25 to 30 songs, maybe six songs will get rotated in different from the night before or something like that and try to keep that a little bit fresh. But I really have gotten to a place where I'm going with our very best stuff and I'm seeing a reaction. And I reflect back on, you know, you get some creative satisfaction from finding that magic obscure song that can make three guys in the audience nod their head, <laughs> but you don't, you know, if you want to really get the reaction from you and from the crowd is you kind of, you know, if you want to work, if you're in it for art, that's a different thing. If you're in it for expression, good for you. If you can, sure. if you can play as much as you want, you know, good on you. If you really want the shortest path to continued work. And actually I will say this, some pretty good love, you know, you, as long There's as you're playing for different crowds. I mean, it, the problem is if you're playing for the same crowd, you know, three nights a week. But who's doing that? Right. right. Well, but that's what I'm saying is you you can't. Right. You've got to mix it up more than than what you're saying. But, yeah, if you're touring around and hitting all the different concert series or whatever, I can totally see we're having basically a show where you swap some stuff out, mainly perhaps just to keep it a little bit fresh for you um, is fine. We swap out about six to eight now. We used to swap out about half the show. Yeah. And I'm I'm just finding more and more. I mean, I don't know if the band is going to start getting antsy, a little, a little tired. Yeah. Bored, yeah. you know, that type of thing. But I, I do say, you know, people loving what you do is a pretty powerful antidote for bored. It totally is. That's so we'll see. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe after two more months of doing this, you know, I want to pull my hair out. I don't know, but I, well, I have maybe, to say that, maybe you'll learn, you know, 10 new songs for next summer instead of three new songs for but next it's, summer. It's, it's which 10 I would choose now. So, right. you know, my band guys listen to this podcast. And so, you know, my message to them, they'll hear it from me anyway, is let's stop, you know, mentally, you know, impressing ourselves. There's plenty of songs out there yep. and they don't have to be the obvious ones. There's plenty of songs out there that, uh, that can get the job done here and we can even have fun with the arrangements of them. And that's the other thing is uh, I've become so much less of an agnostic to have to play a cover right to the note. I think as long as you got the spirit and the hook yep. down, you know, as long as they can sing along with that one line that, that made them fall in love with the song, yep. you, you can do a couple things to many songs, not all songs. No, but, you know, but no, a lot of songs you can change them up. I mean, you've got, you know, your horn section where you can add stuff that maybe wasn't there or take it in a, a different direction. Like you said, as long as the hooks there, that's yep. what people need to hang on. Yeah. 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 So, you know, you live and learn, you know, it, again, it was so much fun getting into some deeper stuff and wow. And, you know, everybody has um, confirmational bias. All you need is one person to tell you they like that. And you, you know, your mind goes to the place where it's universally loved, right? That yeah. Everybody must have loved it. But, it's you know, so if true. you really want to know, you know, play, play your good stuff, you know, yep. play, play the stuff that will, will work instead of saying, you know, you know, we've said Domino by Van Morrison always works. Sure strive to have a show of everything that works. It doesn't hurt. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be disciplined to that because you will play stuff that other people did. Here's a good question for you. Would you, if you play a gig and someone opens for you uh, and they play one of your songs, would yeah. you play it also? Or would you, or would you pull it? No, I'd pull it. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, I mean, unless you do it so differently, I mean, but even then, because and, and that's happened where we've, you know, even uh, there was a fling fest we did where the band that was opening up for us, you know, showed us their set list and they're like, is this OK? 
And my answer, I saw um, no matter what was on there, which is one we yeah. do pretty regularly. And, uh, and I said, yeah, that's fine. They said, is there's nothing on here that you guys are going to play? I'm like, actually there is one, but you guys are playing first. You, you do your set. You know, we invited you here. This is your thing. Go ahead, do your thing. We've got other songs. We can mix it up. And uh, we did it as a sound check, you, you know, because it was like, all right, we're not going to do it in the thing. So we'll do it as a sound check and, and get it out of our systems or whatever. But um, but yeah, you can't. I mean, that's tough to repeat songs from another band. That I don't know. Well, so here's a couple of things. So I've had um, most promoters are really bad about putting bands together to work out. You know, they just don't care. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and so. I often try to reach out and say, Hey, and I've had different levels of, of understanding. You know, sometimes you're like, Hey, you guys are the headliners or sometimes people have been like, you know, your, your problem, not my problem. Right. That type of stuff. And sometimes we've agreed on something and they play it anyway. Right. Like usually, usually what I try to do is split. Right. Sure. Of course. There's four songs. You take two, I'll take two. And we've had, you know, times where bands have been jerks and, you know, they decided to play it. Everybody in the world plays Uptown Funk now, right? Yes. Everybody. And it's a big song for us. And we, you know, with five horns, it's, it pops in a, in a different way when we play it. And that would be one case where if someone tries to, you know, mess with us in that way, I would say, hey, you heard this a little, you heard this a little earlier. Now you're going to hear what it sounds like when, five, when you put five horns on it and kind of put a put an exclamation point on my point. And so huh. I will do it occasionally, but yeah. most of the time I, I agree with you. Most of the time I'll, I'll, I'll demure. Um, yeah, you just it never, it, it never dawns on the opening band to check with the headliner or, or the next band, whether they're stepping on their set in any way. It always has to be to my experience. It always has to be yeah. the headliner who has the, to protect themselves. The bands playing later just have to be aware. And that's, I've always felt like that's just, kind of the way the flow is like if you're first you play whatever you want and if you're playing last well you know uh you gotta work with what's left and yep. that's fine it keeps it interesting you know yeah good stuff man i always like these chats that we have you know we should do this regularly <laughs> weekly <laughs> strongly but every like week a- for like 125 weeks in a row. Yeah, maybe that. That sounds like a good idea. Folks, thanks so much for listening. Um, you can find us, of course, on Facebook at uh, giggabpodcast.com slash Facebook. You can email us feedback at giggabpodcast.com. Actually, we have a couple of Facebook messages that we uh, will answer in the next show. Be yep. fun stuff. Yeah. Hey, I got to send a shout out to my buddy Joe. Get better, brother. I love you so much, and uh, we'll see you behind those drums. Much love, Joe. Always be performing, no matter what you're doing. He's the best at it. 